Hello and welcome to the O&M Stockroom. We're your hosts, Brian McGarry. And Ken O'Malley. Tonight is episode 27 of Complimentary Cinema. If you are new to the channel, Complimentary Cinema is a program where we review and discuss films you can watch for free that are available on YouTube. Please be warned, we discuss these films in detail, so consider this a full spoiler alert. So uh, this is our second stab at recording this podcast. We actually had a power outage that knocked out uh, most of our review, and we're just going to cut this one a little short this evening. This will be the Spaceballs short, short version. Normally we can blather on probably 45 minutes to an hour. Let's see if we can do it in 10. Yeah, (laughs) easily. Easily. So, Ken, how did we pick tonight's film? So, tonight's film is called The Wave. It is a Norwegian film. Um, we did not realize that when we picked it out, and it we it worked out pretty well. The last Norwegian film we watched, we really enjoyed. So, you know, it was promising. You know, I, I even said at the beginning, if nothing else, we have good scenery. So, I'll say that about I'll say this about a Norwegian film. Norway is gorgeous, and they really play it up in these films. Yeah. And this one's no exception. Well, I mean, granted, we've watched two Norwegian films, including this one, but I'm just going to assume that they're all that good. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so this film's from uh, 2015. Uh, it was uh, directed by a guy whose name I can't pronounce and starring a whole bunch of really fine actors whose names I also can't pronounce. Uh, there's lots of J's pronounced as Y's and that sort of thing, but you get the idea. They're great people. So the condensed version of the story... We'll just give a real condensed version of, oh. Well, we got to give a condensed version of the three primary criteria first, okay. Ken. Does this film meet our criteria of review for well-written, well-acted, and well-produced? Yes. Um, so those are the things. Those are the things. So this is a movie about a geologist who is moving on from watching, basically there's these uh, huge crevice things on the side of the mountains in Norway that they have to watch because they could cause an avalanche that would cause a tsunami in the fjords so this is like his job is is the geologist is responsible for this one mountain he decides he wants something but different for his family he's going to go work in the oil business and move into the city and you know have a whole new life um but he can't tear himself away yeah he, he, he it's it's still stuck in his mind and he's still concerned about it so in the process of moving away with his family um, some circumstances happen where some readings are coming up strange and he's concerned that the, that something is an, like imminent happening with the mountain. But nobody really believes him because you don't want to upset the tourist season and it could really, you know, money's important, right? Yeah. So they basically just brush him off and then... They say, we'll, we'll keep looking after it, but, you know, you should we'll, just, you know... We'll drill some more holes. We'll do some more tests. We'll, we'll keep an eye. It's not your problem anymore. And he ends up, you know, shuffling off like a sad dog and uh, ends up, uh, you know, going back to the hotel where his wife works to pick up his kids, which he was supposed to take onto a ferry to go back to the city because their house is sold and it's empty yeah. and they don't live there anymore. And his wife is pissed. So he had a bad feeling and he's just, you know, he can't get it out of his head. So long story short, he... He comes to the realization that the readings that they were seeing could be the sign of an imminent avalanche. And by the time he alerts the research team and they kind of investigate, it's already too late. So they they do hit the alert button, which gives everyone 10 minutes to get out of this valley before the tidal wave comes through. 
And they have 10 minutes because in real life on this particular mountain, that is a real mountain. That's how long it'll take for a tsunami to reach that particular town. And they, they have to get 80 meters uh, above sea level in order to avoid such a uh, tsunami. Right. Math and science. Yeah. So they basically they have the roads coming out of town that they have to try to get up and scramble up so that they are above the, the water level. So the, the dad and the, the one child are going up one hill. The mom and the son are stuck in a hotel. They end up going into the basement because they can't get out in time and like a bomb shelter. And, the Flickhoff, uh, I couldn't pronounce. I can't pronounce it and, unless I was reading it. And neither one of these groups have a great time because no, <laughs> the mom and son are stuck underwater in this, you know, bomb shelter. With Philippe, the one, dad, of the, one of the hotel patrons. The dad does not get above the water level. No. And he has to strap into a car just to like have something to hold on to. And, uh, you know, the, the other passenger with him doesn't make it. And, uh, you know, he pulls through in the end, but just barely, just, you know, by the smallest margin. He ends up uh, crawling out of the rubble, out of the wreckage after the tsunami hits. And, uh, you know, there's absolute destruction and bedlam everywhere. And he starts looking around for his daughter, who he ends up finding who's perfectly fine. Meanwhile, he looks like he just climbed out of a, a slime pit. Not in good shape. Uh, after he realizes his daughter's okay, he decides to go try to find his wife and his son. He eventually makes it to the, uh, makes it back to the hotel where she worked. After realizing she didn't make it onto a bus, that uh, ended up not making it out of safety. And eventually, uh, out of anger of not being able to find them, he smashes his flashlight on some metal pipes, which vibrate and can be heard down in the bomb shelter where his uh, wife and son are. And then long story short, they end up finding him and everything's okay. Yep. The end. The family unites and the, you know, the, the rescue workers have come and you get the final shot of just looking down the valley where there's just nothing left. Just absolutely destroyed. So that's the, uh, that's the quick, quick summary. We left out a little bit of the detail and the nuance, but uh, you know, you'll just have to, You'll just have to watch it for yourself this time. We'll, we'll spend our time on the discussion instead of the, the summary for this one. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's talk about, uh, talk about this film a little bit. So it's, so it's the second Norwegian film that we've watched on this channel. And I was immediately impressed by the cinematography of it mm-hmm. and just the, the quality of the shots clearly they're using good cameras. Clearly they're, you know, I, and I say that like I would be expecting them to have third world uh, film production capabilities. And I don't know why. Maybe just because you never really hear about any films from Norway. Mm. You don't think of them as having a film industry. I think what it is with this film, too, is they take a lot of cues from kind of these natural disaster movies you've seen before. But they turn them into their own, you know, local story. And it feels very grounded a lot of the time. Um, I think that also adds to that the cinematography angle of it. It's not like they're just... I mean, there are just shots of like the surrounding areas and stuff. But it's all very much focused on the people. And like their movements. And like it's very, it's very smart how they, they do those shots. Because it, it helps tell the story. It's not just like shots of scenery and it's pretty. 
it's like okay now we're, we're we have video of the crevasse and now we're, we're going down the valley into the town where the next part of the story is they really find a great way to incorporate the natural beauty of the area into the story so that the the, the you know nature itself is absolutely a character in this yeah. as well as the environment that they're in and they don't necessarily like the the movie that we watched a few a uh, few months back about the trolls in Norway. That really showboated Norway's you know beautiful vistas. This one makes them a little. They do a little bit of that, and they really pull back, and they really just focus on what it is about those places that we need to know for the story. Right, because really in the in the troll movie. They were more highlighting that there's all these different kinds of areas where this was really focused on this one valley and just a couple areas in the valley. So you get a sense of where you're at and like how it all fits together. So yeah, cinematography was great. And then even the, just the cinematography with the inside shots with the people and all that stuff. Uh, it, it was very good. It really looked like a very, I don't know. It was just high quality is mm-hmm. what I guess is another way to put it. And like the, the transitions between the sets and the on location stuff was also very good. Like seamless. It wasn't jarring, even though like I could tell once, you know, like the, the scenes with the wreckage and like the, the stuff like that. <clears throat> like you would know it's a soundstage, but it didn't look like a soundstage. Yeah. And that was nice. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the acting in this film. So it's a uh, it's all in Norwegian with subtitles, and uh, there's a few words that translate over into English. Um, the word "fuck," the word "shit," oh man. Uh, I heard, I think it was consequences. There's a few words that they they use in that are still English, in just their everyday communication. Or they're just similar like. enough in. Norwegian. Well, they match the subtitles. Yeah. It's almost kind of like how English just borrows from German and French and everybody else. Yeah. It's there it seems like there's a little bit of that in Norwegian as well, mm-hmm. which was kind of interesting. And uh not an ugly language by any means. Yeah. I would I don't know if I'd call it a pretty language. It's it's different. But it's no, no I don't know. I just I have had very little exposure to language. It's nice. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. It's nice. Not fantastic. It's not like French where it just is very sensual and voluptuous, but it's good, you know. But I also took German in high school. So. But uh, that said, so the acting, so you really are, in this sense, you really are depending so much on the, the emotive qualities of their facial expressions, their movements, uh, the tone of their voices. And all of that really conveyed so much. And like family was believable family, you know, the way they're, they were acted with each other, you know, it was a good little, you know, you cared about them because the way they cared about each other. And then researcher people, even you got that sense of like these people on a job together and they felt like very much that group. All kind of sick of each other's shit, but they're, you know, they're still around. And even like the lady at the hotel, like the coworker, you know, how she was giving her trouble, like, like, thanks for coming. Like, you know, for leaving me hanging there for a while. Yeah, like. Right? Where have you been? Yeah, good good banter. Uh, very down to earth, very grounded, as you said. Um, our main our main character, uh, Christian, the geologist. 
I said this during the film, and I'm going to say it again here. He's he is the Norwegian Norman Reedus. Yeah, and he looks more like Norman Reedus the the longer this movie goes on, because mm-hmm. he gets increasingly just beat up and dirty and scraggly, and it looks like Norman Reedus on say season four of Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. He's just been through the wars by this point, point. Uh, and he's a very very fine actor. An interesting pick for a lead in this film. Mm-hmm. But I don't really know what his star power would be back in Norway. It looked like a lot of these actors had done other work in Norway, but none of them had done a lot of work. And I think the reason he works, too, in that role is because, like, this isn't a, like, big action hero super, like, you know, he's going to go in and save the day, but because he's, like, the biggest, strongest, you know, whatever. It's just, like, he was a smart guy that knows what he's talking about to help as many people as he can. But he really struggles through all of these, you know, trials and, and problems he has. He's he's just a, he's a scrawny bookworm. Yeah. But that, that makes the character work. It does. Because that that's when I when I look at this situation in this movie, that's why it's it's so believable to me. Is he is literally just like me. Like a guy who sits in a desk <laughs> at work and you know, he, he he's just thrust in the middle of the situation. What I like about it too, so this is uh, Norway's first disaster film ever, which is interesting. It took him until 2015 to make one, which also kind of leads me to believe that maybe their their film industry is pretty young too. But uh, they did this one so well because when you look at other like um, okay, so when you look at Hollywood blockbuster disaster movies. Uh, 2012. I don't know if you remember that one. Ugh. That was a terrible disaster movie. And it had yeah. huge sets, huge budget, awful CGI. And just, a, I mean, it, it was a very cringy disaster movie. And I feel like we get so many more of those than you do of something that's really believable and based on what is very likely to happen in this specific area of the world. And this was more like, which even you mentioned, not comparatively, but you mentioned earlier, like Earthquake that we had watched uh, together. Yeah, Charlton Heston from the uh, 70s. And it's more in that vein of, you know, a group of people who are all kind of, you know, going through this situation as if it were real. Yeah, which I personally, I like seeing. Yeah. You know, granted, there you know, there are some moments in this film where they they take some poetic license and, you know, add a little bit of drama. Yes, especially at the end. Especially at the end, but you know, I mean, what what can you really expect? But what I find very interesting about this film is it's mostly talking. It's well into this movie before the quote unquote action really begins. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of talking on phones. There's talking in meetings. There's running and talking. There's some shouting and some more talking. The movie is predominantly talking with more of the more interesting things and in, I'd say the like uh, the latter 40%. Yeah, they spend a lot of time building it up and they are building up the like the town, the family, you know, the the situation with these mountains and exactly what what it is to that you know, they're afraid of. And it's a nice slow build too cuz so often it's you have 25 minutes, I guess, of, of exposition and, and groundwork before the movie begins. Mm-hmm. And we really were well an hour into it 
when it really kicked off in that regard. Yeah. But you didn't feel like you were being cheated of anything. No. And you didn't feel like it was slow paced either. It actually it kept my attention for it. It moved at a good clip too because they did introduce all of the different locations earlier. So like you did go to a couple different places, do some different things, and that kept it kind of fresh too. Yeah, change of scenery, change of characters. It wasn't like the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes took place in the research station or something like that, you know? Some variety in the scenery. So do we have any uh, useless or extraneous characters in this film? Eh. I can I can name one. There's uh, one guy at the research station. Yeah. Who's just eating and drinking a lot and doesn't really have many lines. And he just doesn't really need to be there. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, he ends up, you know, being the guy, the first one to notice when all the alarms are really going off. But he could have been played by anybody else that was a part of that research station. True. Just not an interesting character. Yeah, I mean, out of the characters that actually said anything, that's probably true. But jumping back just to the uh, the acting for a little bit, all of these... Uh, Main people did their own stunts, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Apparently they all did their own stunts, which included the parts where they're all underwater, which was, you know, a decent part of the the final act. Yeah, uh, quite a bit. Of the mom, the son, and the main character. And one of the tertiary characters as well, all doing uh, stints underwater. And, and apparently the uh, the main character, he, he studied with, you know, breath, dive free dive coaching yeah and uh could hold his breath at three minutes by the time they were they were filming the scenes which is pretty crazy it is crazy because there's also a scene where he gets there's a scene early on when he gets in a car well when the disaster strikes they can't get out of the out of the way of the tsunami so he hops in a car with another lady and buckles up because what else are you going to do and that car's spinning around and there's water in it so even if it was just the camera moving around a vehicle, uh, he was in a car underwater. Yeah. Yeah. Even before I, I read, uh, the, you know, the details afterwards, Yeah, I was impressed with the scenes where they were swimming underwater. Yeah, absolutely. You could tell that those people were, I mean, it's not like they had body doubles. Like you could yeah. see their face while they were swimming. Yeah. So they did a really good job with, with those sections. So uh, soundtrack and editing. Very little music in this film. You only have uh, one one pop song, I guess. A Norwegian rap song, if you could call it that. And then you have just some some orchestral music in the background. Not much else. Yeah. But you don't really feel like you're missing anything either. It's just very, it's very functional mm-hmm. to the story and to the mood. It was just enough. Yeah. For some of the effects, the CGI was not terrible. It wasn't great, but it's best. uh, The best thing about that is that there was so little of it. Mm -hmm. You really only see the CGI for the tsunami scene. Yeah, pretty much. And then a little bit in a little bit in the aftermath. But predominantly, it's all actual physical lighting, physical effects. And with the lighting, Ken, did you notice something odd after the uh, after the disaster? Well, I noticed something that you you kept mentioning was that there's little fires everywhere, everywhere, and that and just the rubble and like in the hotel and 
So it didn't make a whole lot of sense, but it was great lighting. Great lighting. It was all for atmosphere. That's one thing that I would say would, in a sense, would be a detraction from the quality of the film is just the, because uh, so much of it is based in reality and it's very well grounded. And then you just have random little fires just burning everywhere. Which there would be some fires in the aftermath of a scenario like that. But. But. It was little fires. Literally every they would They feet. would not be like small, scented, decorative fires. Yeah. Little, little you know, oil pots or whatever. Yeah, you'd have. <laughs> so that was a little distracting, especially in the hotel that had just been flooded out. And there's little, little bits of fire here and there in the hallways. Just to give you just enough light to see what's going on. Yeah. That was kind of funny. It's one of those things that's appropriate in almost every other disaster movie, but this one specifically, it doesn't make any sense because everything just got flooded. It got flooded. It was a tsunami. Yeah. I mean, are there are there just little gas lines just everywhere? I mean, when I saw Aftermath, this is whatever, anecdotal, but when I saw Aftermath videos of like Japan after a tsunami, I did not see fires everywhere. I did not recall seeing any fires either. I mean, I'm just saying, occasionally you'd have the like a gas fire if like a gas line broke or like sure. a paint tank or something like that. But that's not going to be like, you know, everywhere. I can understand there being the occasional fire. I can understand there being the occasional, you know, big fire even. Mm-hmm. You know, what if something major got ruptured and then ignited See, i can, that would have I can been get better that if they had one big fire burning in town that would make more sense yeah you know or a couple smaller fires just not have don't have like 200 little tiny ones yeah here and there it was nice set dressing but it was the wrong film for that yeah okay now if it was an actual earthquake film of which uh they did make a sequel quake the quake in 2018 which we need to watch i'm sure there will be little fires everywhere i'm i'll be disappointed if they're not but it would be more funny too if uh instead of in in the the in the quake instead of all the little fires they have lots of little floodings <laughs> i could see that being a thing that would be great that would be great they better have done it we're going to have to watch that soon yeah we'll find out so if you if you couldn't tell from what what we've talked about so far uh i would say it's probably a good consensus that we both enjoyed this film uh, I really enjoyed it quite a bit, and uh, let's let's revisit our three primary criteria, Ken. Mm-hmm. Was this film well written? It was. I would agree with that. They they based it on a real life actual premise, which uh, Norwegian scientists consider inevitable. They based it in a real place. They wrote uh, realistic, believable characters. There's n- there's nothing over the top about any of that. It didn't get too stupid. It got a little stupid, but not extreme i i can't imagine a disaster movie that wouldn't get a little stupid well i mean especially if you're focusing on a specific group of people yeah you know it's like well they gotta you be, know they gotta be your characters yeah so it's like you know you gotta have the mom and the kid and the boy and the father and you know the little bit of extra drama that goes with that so uh okay so was it well acted i believe it was i mean doing your own stunts underwater and you know, being able to really convey a character's sincerity and not even knowing the language they're speaking, I'd say they definitely did. Yeah. And of course, or maybe my ignorance of their language makes them seem like better actors than they are, but the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, I doubt it. I, I, I doubt don't it. think that's the case. I don't think so either. Okay. Uh, well produced, Ken? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Great. Yes. Great views. 
great overall set design for the inside parts. Uh, you always have a great feel of where you are, where you're going, what the situation is. No shaky cam. No shaky cam. Thank God. No shaky cam. Only CGI when you absolutely needed it. Um, just, oh, yeah. But, like, even when they used the CGI, they weren't afraid to just hold on it. It wasn't like, you know, where they, they you know, the camera was... It did hold up to scrutiny. The, the camera wasn't, you know, viewing away when something happened or, you know, like we see with some movies. Like like movies directed by Haz? Yes. Yes, where you just, you can never focus on anything for long enough to see how bad it really is. I'm going to slag that guy every single opportunity <laughs> I get. But yes, the production quality was top notch. Yeah. So this film definitely meets the three criteria. So we definitely recommend this film. You should definitely check it out too. And we're two for two with Norwegian films. Yeah. I mean, I would rate this up with many of the, the good American disaster movies. Absolutely. And it's a, and it's a great spin on a, a specific... A sp- this specific type of disaster has never really been covered before. We've had meteors. We've had, you know, Godzilla-type monsters or even Godzilla himself. We've had earthquakes. I'm sure there's a tsunami, like ocean tsunami movie somewhere. But... This I mean, is a very, very specific kind of, you know. This is a very specific situation that has not been covered before. And, like and very, that's what I like about it. And very grounded in reality. Not just like, you know, an asteroid hit the earth and like. A giant tsunami like two miles high right, engulfs right, right. the planet. Yeah. This was like it's a real thing. You just had happens. to get up to a certain level and you're going to be fine. And if you're below that, then you're in trouble. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, that was uh, the wave. The Wave. That's a wrap for tonight's episode here at the O&M Stockroom. We are your hosts, Brian McGarry. And Ken O'Malley. Uh, if you enjoyed this segment of Complimentary Cinema, more episodes can be found at omstockroom.com, along with links to our Patreon page and various streaming outlets. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next Wednesday with an all-new episode. <laughs>